Welcome to Marketing Mambo with your host, Terry McDougall. It's the fun and fast podcast where we cha-cha-chat with marketing movers and shakers from around the globe. Everybody, it's Terry with Marketing Mambo, and I am so excited to introduce our guest today. His name is John Deal, and he's known as one of the world's foremost change experts. He thrives working closely with business leaders that are facing significant and always on change to remain competitive and relevant in the marketplace. Part of the reason why we wanted to have John on today is because in the world of marketing, As we know, it is constantly changing, and I thought that he could bring some very interesting perspectives to those of us in marketing who also may be dealing with the pace of change, but also be part of the change agents within our organization. So John is the CEO of Organizational Change Management. John, I want to welcome you to Marketing Mambo. How are you today? I'm awesome. I'm so glad to be here. And I hope we can excite your guests and we can learn all together and have some fun. I think that we will definitely be able to do that. So where are you calling in from, John? I'm from outside of Atlanta, Georgia. Oh, okay. It's it's nice to hear the Southern accent. I was in North Carolina for years and it's music to my ears. Interesting you asked me because nobody is from Atlanta. That's what's funny. I'm originally from Baltimore, Maryland, but I've been here since 1989. So I guess I have picked up on some Southern parts, but. uh. Well, it's funny that you say that because I'm originally from Maryland too. And so is my husband (laughs) and being out here in Chicagoland, when people find out that we moved here from North Carolina, they'll say the same thing I just said to you, (laughs) which is like, oh, I can tell you've got that Southern accent. And we just kind of laugh and we're like, "Eh, it's really a Baltimore accent. (laughs) (laughs) Well, so was there anything that I left out? Can you add any more color to the introduction that I gave to you? It was awful kind of you, but if the people on the call walk away with one thing, they'll go, there's John Deal, and it's spelled D-E-E-L, and there's no website. There's one way to find me. If you can remember my first and last name, you go to LinkedIn, you type it in, and they'll show up. And if you at least spend a minute and a half looking at the top end of my profile, you'll know within a minute and a half or less what I do, all right? So change is in my DNA. I help people in business navigate through change. Industry might call it transformation. You call it helping people in business navigate through something that's going to be a bit different than it was the day before. That's all you got to remember. Great. How did you get into change management consulting? Oh my. See, they look at my profile, right? And then, and we'll talk about this from the marketing people out there that are true marketeers will understand this. There's a place where you can feature a file at the very top of your LinkedIn profile. And I happen to have an infographic up there. And marketing people definitely know what infographics are. And they're built by a tool that's probably the number one tool out there in the world today called PictoChart. Okay, so I have an infographic. They get to that second page, I see a pie chart. And the pie chart says, 20 years I was in IT. Well, that's my background. Computer scientist out of Virginia Tech, went to go work for IBM. That was my 20-year career. Retired from IBM, had a corner office job as a CIO, the worst job I ever had. And I had been following a couple of people and I asked them, I said, there's a company who said, John, we would like to you to come to our company, but we don't want you for the IT part. We'd get that for free because you've been doing that, but we want you to be a change management person. I didn't know what that was. This is 20 years ago. And I said, well, this sounds exciting to me. So if you're going to have to teach me the change part, I got the IT part. And they said, fine, come on. Never look back. 
It's kind of weird how that happened, but I just made that career change like that. And I've been so blessed. The second 20 has been a lot better than the first 20. Oh, that's so funny. So let me ask you, when you were a CIO and working for IBM, I would imagine that you were having to shepherd a lot of change. And when you moved to that other company where they said, okay, we're going to teach you how to do change management. Once you got into the middle of it, were you like, oh, I've already been doing this? Well, here's the thing. Now, I mean, my first 20 years, I was technology nerd. I was looked at. People wanted me in their presence or in there being a consultant or instructor or whatever I was doing from pure technology standpoint. I wasn't a behavioral change expert because mm-hmm. that's kind of what a change management person is. Yeah. The skills that you have to be a change practitioner, they didn't even have an organizational change management degree at Virginia Tech back then. Mm-hmm. You see, so I just picked up on what my family kind of told me. They said, John, you do have some good personal skills to be a change practitioner, just like sometimes to be a good marketing person or be a good salesperson, there's certain skill sets they say, the industry will tell you, or they'll tell you that you have to have. And I had those, but they were sheltered and put under control when I was in IT. That's mm-hmm. not what they were looking for. No, John, you need to have architect systems. How are we going to do this? How fast can we rate the code? How long is it going to take the test? What about our quality? See, totally different things. So I had to learn that. And thank goodness, I learned the change field, not by going back to college, but by being in a company that helped pull me through that learning curve. But mm-hmm. I was a quick study because they said, John, you got the chops. You just don't have the experience. You have, you can learn if you can learn what you've done in IT, you can learn the skill sets and the tools and the tricks, you know, required. You can learn the methodologies. There's mm-hmm. Cotter, there's Proce, there's Lamarche, there's Kettering. But you can look, we can teach you all that just like because you, you know, we'll, we'll bring you along in that. And I just started mm-hmm. eating that up. Loved it. So I'm curious about what your friends and family told you were those attributes that make for a solid foundation for being a change management consultant. What are those? Yeah, and I think it's for a lot of different careers, but definitely if you're in, you know, if you're into sales and marketing as well, is that, and I didn't, if I would have invented these things, Terry, I would have probably been really, really rich. But (laughs) I I forget who it was. It might have been Covey. People. Remember when they said people do business with people they know, like, and trust. I say it all the time. Right. And I think it was whoever invented that and and wrote books on that. That's pretty awesome stuff. Because that is flat out. If you're going to be successful in change management or change practitioner field and be where I've been all over the globe, as far as Australia and Saudi Arabia to hardly ever in the United States. I don't know why that is. And in in Atlanta, only once. (laughs) Um I started learning that. I'm like, so, wow. So I got to figure out how to do that because as a change practitioner, since you're actually on the ground prior to COVID, helping people navigate through that change, you have to really be in their space and kind of understand those things. So I'm like, well, the like part is easy for me. It's just some, I'm blessed that I like people and some, a lot of them, they like me. Well, mm-hmm. That's good. So we like yeah, each other. Yeah. That's good. You can read books on how to get people to like each other, but I think some of that's it's in you or not or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. Know you takes time. Now, they say that you can know somebody or you can get an impression on somebody in a matter of seconds, but know and know somebody. Like I know that I just heard you said you had a husband. You know, you're going to learn. So you get to know people, right? Trust is the big, that's, that's, the, that's the tip of the iceberg if you can get all the way up there. That takes sometimes weeks, months, years. But I found that if I can master those as quick as I can without, you know, that I can be successful doing what I do as a change practitioner. 
So know, like, and trust. And I think the, the biggest one that gets me, the one I study with still today is trust. So there's a book called The Speed of Trust. So I kind of took on those learnings. And so, because trust is really the no like part, I got that. That came pretty easy to him. But the trust part, wow. So you can't write a formula on that. But I'll tell you, there's some good teaching and good learning about how you d- develop trust. And then I've distilled that into stuff that people understand. Like you have to breathe the same airspace as the people. This is why it's hard in the COVID world. You, you're going to trust, you're going to learn how to trust somebody through electronic means. Yeah. I've spent 20 years around the globe. Not, I mean, I can use technology fine. But to get somebody to really trust you, you have to go get that coffee with them. And mm-hmm. in, in the way I was raised into this field and brought it into this field. So now we're trying to figure out different ways. So the trust one is a big challenge for everybody. But that I'm excited by that challenge because if I can get those three things going, it's a beautiful day with my client. Mm-hmm. It's a beautiful day and me working and doing what I'm doing because I've spent the time to take care of those three things. And I yeah. think that's applicable to, I, sometimes I wish that the sales and marketing teams, when they get together, they would understand that just between themselves. Because I've seen the interaction yeah. between <laughs> the two teams for the all 40 of my professional years. So it's really fun. It's interesting that you say that because that is, I recognize that as an area for opportunity as well. And I've actually had a couple of sales trainers, longtime successful salespeople that have turned into like authors and sales trainers come on and talk about the opportunities for closer sales and marketing integration. But when you were talking, one of the things that struck me and, you know, it's funny, I don't know that I saw that I recognize this right away. But, you know, after having a career 30 years of marketing and then moving over to becoming a coach and then what you're talking about in terms of like change management, this is what coaches do, right? Like we're change management consultants also. And when I heard you talking about your approach, you have to meet your client where they are, right? When you were talking about breathing that they and and right. change for many people, and this is the reason why we need change management consultants, is because change can be very scary and uncertain for many people. And you've probably seen many of your clients through lots of big changes. And, and I think that it starts with sitting next to them so that you're looking out ahead down that road towards that goal and getting clear on what that is. And then because you've been through this a number of times, you probably have confidence that we can get there, right? And you can sort of hold their hand. You can help them get clear on like, how do we build this roadmap so that we've thought through everything and we've mitigated the risk and and mm-hmm. we've, you know, we're communicating so everybody's coming along on the journey with us. What are some of the biggest obstacles that you see when you're working with clients that, you know, can can jeopardize a change management initiative? That's a very good question. A lot of times what happens there is that we are called to the game late. So a company will know that they're going to have to do some of this, this massive thing, which is, okay, people inside our company don't know we're going to buy these other two companies, right? So, so the merger acquisition has already taken place. And now they're trying to put the pieces together. And the change person still hasn't shown up yet. I think we mm-hmm. can handle this. And so you show up to the ground late. That's not good. Because most of the time when you do, they're calling you in because, yeah, we we messed this up. Yeah. We should have had you here. Had you right. Here. So right. you're kind of playing catch up real quick. But especially sometimes you'll have the executive sponsorship. So the executives got to get on board and say, look, we have to, we bought this other company. This is what we're doing. This is what our investors want us to do. And now we're going to have to put these two worlds together. And we're going to have to put that together on three levels, culturally, technically, 
and process. We don't need two marketing organizations. We don't right. need two sales organizations. We don't take so all of a sudden when when these merger acquisitions, man, it can it can upset the balance real real quick. Mm-hmm. Versus a company that just says, look, we're doing just fine. We're not buying anybody, but we have a legacy system that is need to bring up to speed or we need to just get rid of. So we need to put in sales or we need to put it in ERP or we need to be able to do AI, DI, artificial intelligence, business intelligence better. So they're looking for just enhancing and getting more competitive within their space. So each one of these, when they bring a change practitioner in, has this different flavor. So, mm-hmm. so the biggest challenge is, is, man, how can we get on the ground faster? And when you don't get on the ground when you need to be, how can you pick up the pace? So they're not fighting you. They already want you there, but like, oh my God, we've we got to look back to the first four months and here's what you didn't do. And we need to pick up mm-hmm. that and stuff like that. So yeah. that part, most of the time I show up and the executives are with it. Well, that's cool. Executives say, hey, we're going to do this. Mm-hmm. But most of the time I'm brought in to say, John, we, we know we got to do this and we're going to do this. But how do we operationalize the behavioral change mm-hmm. that's going to be necessary for us to do something that we're smart enough themselves to already decide they're going to do? So I'm not a strategist. I don't decide that. Mm-hmm. They bring me in. They've already made that decision. Right. Right. So I've got to I'm going to drink that Kool-Aid or I'm not going to take that that gig. I'm not going to be on that account. Mm-hmm. Right? And most of the yeah. time, what they're trying to do is something smart is what they should do. It's just right. how can we operationalize that? And it's back to some of the things you were saying earlier is and I put it in very simple terms. How did you say you had to get in their space or, or you have to you said meet oh, them where they are. Yeah, yeah meet, meet them where they, they are. are. So when I explain that same thing. I'll have to steal those words. I explain this when I teach younger people about being a change practitioner. I said, let me tell you, they say, well, John, how have you been so successful? And I said, well, what do you define as success? The fact that I've been all over the globe doing it or the fact that Accenture could charge me out of $400 an hour inside a country that a lovely lady like Terry can't even go to? <laughs> I'm serious. No, I know. So, so they, you define success, but I said, no, I didn't make that. But that, So to be what is successful is the I think more is like, I love what I've been doing and I've had the opportunity to do it. And yes, every time I do it and I establish no like and trust factors, money is going to fall down from the sky. And I know that as a being in this profession. And, you know, I just take that money. I give it to my wife, Kathy. <laughs> Smart man. <laughs> she gives me allowance to go fish and play golf. And life is good. And I do yep. it all over again, right? Yeah. But yeah. what you said, so meet them on the ground, be I say, you have to eat where they eat. Mm-hmm. Now think about how we're going to fix this COVID style. So I spent all these years learning that I was successful some of the time just because I'm eating where they eat. Mm-hmm. Well, no, like trust. What am mm-hmm. I doing? They go, well, you can say that, but how do you get that? Mm-hmm. Well, here's the formulas on the other side. Eat where they eat. Work out where they work out. What? Oh, if they have a gym in the it, at their facility, well, I work out. So instead of working out in a hotel, I'll show up and bring my clothes and take my shower and work out mm-hmm. where they work out. Yeah. Cause I want to eat where they eat, work out where, when they invite you to something on the weekend, I know we have stuff to do on the weekend. I like to go home mm-hmm. on the weekend. Cause I've already been right. gone every once in a while. The John man, where, where, you, do, do you go home every weekend? I'm like, yeah, pretty much. So I want to see my wife, my dog, whatever. Man, we got a big barbecue going on or we're going mm-hmm. out every once in a while. I, I would say yes. Mm-hmm. Oh my God. Go to their barbecue. Now, people are saying, well, I can't do that. So I'm telling you my own personal way of know, like, and trust and getting to know people mm-hmm. to get through that equation. I have to be, like you said, in their space. Mm-hmm. And that takes sacrifice 
well, I'm working. That's fine. But on the weekend, but but you say at night, what am I going to do? I'm going to go back to the hotel. So if they want to go out and have some uh, appetizers or some drink, I'm there. That's part of yeah. the gig. You have to it, do that. And if you don't, you can still be successful. But I'll tell you right now, I think you're going to be as successful as I because if I can, you know, yeah. do that. Yeah, sorry to interrupt you. Yeah, because I think that what you're doing is that you're demonstrating to them that you're seeing things from their perspective. You care. You're empathizing. I would imagine, too, that you get more clarity on their perspective when you're working out with them, when you're at the the barbecue. And a lot of times there are really subtle things from a cultural perspective that people won't even realize to communicate to you because it's so innate to them. Yeah, I talk about this a lot in my business as a coach that you can't read the label from inside the bottle, right? Like we're just walking around, like maybe some of the aspects of their culture are so innate to them that they don't even think to mention it because it's in their DNA. But when you're there with them, you see it and you're like, whoa, this is something that we definitely need to weave into our change management plan. And they might not recognize that if you don't address it, that it's going to be a stumbling block. Yeah, because a lot of times they'll just they'll focus on, oh, we got to put it in a new CRM. So they're just going to focus on the technology. Mm-hmm. What about the cultural impact of the, the 20% of the people that have never used a CRM and they just, they're looking for retirement and you're going to tell them they're not going to get paid the last three years of their life because unless they use the CRM, that's where yeah. the bonuses are going to flow from. I mean, so yeah, it's, it's like you're so right. But, you know, it's interesting how COVID is kind of taken because I was like, how's a change practitioner going to focus on changing behavior from a dang the other end of a computer? Mm-hmm. And actually, I've spent since what, March or April when they sent us all home. I still work, but, you know, I had everybody was sent home. So people at my client and all the change practitioners were sent home like everybody else. And they're still not back at work. Well, how has it how has it impacted since you can't eat where they eat and you can't work right. out where they work out? How has that changed what you do? Right. So I'm still waiting. Okay. Maybe I can say this because of my experience and my, my gray hair or whatever. I'm still waiting for somebody to write that book around how do we how does some people do their profession post COVID as successfully as they did it before. Now, absolutely can work in some other professions. But as a behavioral scientist will tell you, I don't know, it's going to take a while for them to write that book because it's going to be kind of complex. But here's the thing that I got lucky for. So I can't write the book, but I'll read it when someone publishes it. But by that time, I'll just be fishing and playing golf. (laughs) But here's the thing. I said, you know, thank God I had six months on the ground with the client inside the project, inside the change, getting way up the scale of no like and trust. And then all of a sudden they sent us on. So -hmm. guess what? I've already established that. So I didn't hit much blip in the system other than people, the client. Here's the thing, what I preach and part of what's in my DNA, I say, man, if I can get people wonder why I do what I do. And I'm like, you know what jazzes me up? I said, when I can get to a point, the client where they want me, they like when I show up on Monday. Mm Mm-hmm. They know I'm coming from somewhere, not right. from their hometown, but they like, what. Well, where's John? Mm-hmm. Man, yeah. I love that. So then I'm like, they go, so they say, John, but we, there's stuff that just went on when you were here that we just, it's not the same. I'm like, I know everybody's hiding behind. And there's a lot of people struggling with the remote thing because you know what, think about it. people with families and kids and dogs and sure. all kinds of stuff. I'm, it's just my wife and I, and my dog, and I try to keep them mm-hmm. quiet. There's people that are, they weren't wired to work at home. 
Yeah. So just the physical part, the dynamics of doing the from from COVID for people, but as a change practitioner that has preached the gospel of how to do this, which doesn't line up with staying in a cube at home mm-hmm. and being as just as successful, has been a little bit just been a little bit weird for me. Um, yeah. Well, I mean, a lot of times in the workplace when there is a lot of change, you know, you'll hear people use that saying like drinking from the fire hose, right? And I do think that during this time, we've been required to adapt and change so much. And in many cases, the expectations of what we need to produce are the same under a lot more difficult circumstances or maybe even increased. You know, I mm-hmm. I've, I did a survey a couple months ago about career satisfaction and some people that said that COVID's had a negative impact said that their industry has been really negatively impacted and maybe people have been laid off and there's just as much work to do as there was before. And that's really hard if you're trying to homeschool and you know everything else. It's really hard. Yeah, I think we're all learning, right? And so that's why I say so. And, and it's just because of my the way my attitude is and stuff, you know, I'm, I have some philosophies and some approaches that I do. You know, I, I'm with the model of I'm going to come in and, and do it with you, not to you. So yeah. I'm not no silver bullet with all the answer. Whether right. I approach the certification or not, what does that doesn't mean? John, it seems like you're in it to win it with us, that you're not mm-hmm. like, and then here's the other t- thing I tell people in my field. And, and I just think about marketing sales all the time. I tell people, no task is beneath me. Mm-hmm. Think about mm-hmm. that for a second. Yeah. So when I'm on the ground, now especially it's very, you can live that task. Like, okay, you're gonna have a meeting. Well, it's because I'm some senior executive or blah, blah, whatever. I can go get donuts and coffee. Yeah. I can make the plans for lunch and pass the menu around. Right. I can go get it. No task. I can get inside the spreadsheet. We can do the market analysis together, not you do it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I had to learn that too, because sometimes, and I've never been one of the ones in the pecking order thing, but I'm like, because if you do those tasks, then you're looked at as more of one of them. Mm-hmm. John's never like, oh, that's too big for him. We can't make him do that. Yeah. You know, it's funny. So I just, I, I keep that approach, you know. Well, I think that that is probably very inspiring also because change can be difficult. And to demonstrate that you're going to do whatever needs to be done to make this change happen, I think can be inspirational for other people too to say, well, hey, if he's willing to do this, and then, sure, why wouldn't I? I, I had a colleague years ago who, who had this saying, and I just love it. I've adopted it, which is sometimes you got to take the trash out to get the job done. And I was like, it's so true, right? I mean, you know, you just don't do the parts that you want to do. If this needs to be done, and then why not me to step up and make sure it happens? And then it can inspire others to also step up and do what they're capable of doing, which when you're leading large scale change, you do need everybody to come along with you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's like I said, that's something that I've learned that you can't win them all over. But but leading by example. And what they finally find out is that John didn't decide that this is what we were going to do. This was already decided. And then when they figure out that the importance of being attached to the executive leadership team to make sure that we're all drinking the same Kool-Aid, then they know that's when I put my cufflinks on and I'm up there in that boardroom. They know that I'm connected at the top because that's where it's got to come from. But then when we get down to do the work, I'm down on the shop floor. So mm-hmm. they kind of go, well, looks like it's John guy. He ain't going away. And, yeah. And this ain't going away. And he said he'd be here to help us. So you're going to pull a lot of people through with you. But there again, you're going to get some that just, and sometimes the hard fact that matters have to get gone. Yeah. it's. I always talk about, hey, the train's leaving the station. Either get on board or you're going to be left behind. 
you know, you've mentioned Proce a couple times and I actually coached somebody who was a change management consultant a few years ago and he introduced me to the the Proce model of change management, the ADCAR model. Mm-hmm. And I have used that a ton. I'm so thankful that he introduced that to me and having worked in marketing for as long as I did and having to get people on board with things that they didn't always want to get on board with, I recognize now when I look back that I just was intuitively kind of using that model because sometimes you do have to go back to square one. And I'm just going to stop for a second and just explain what ADCAR is a acronym that stands for awareness, desire, knowledge, ability, and reinforcement. And when people are not accepting change, when there's resistance to change, it's usually because we've skipped a step, right? People don't know that the change is necessary or they don't want it for some reason or they don't know how to accept it somehow, right? And so sometimes we'll try to do things like we're going to award you for accepting this change. So that's like you're at the reinforcement stage trying to like reward people for the new behavior when they're not even sure they want to do it yet, right? Mm -hmm. So we have to go back and say, well, let me tell you why this is a good thing for you, right? Like go back to the Mm -hmm. desire stage. So I know that you rattled off a bunch of different models and I'm sure, you know, you're a real expert. I'm a neophyte when it comes to this, at least, you know, talking about change management. But what would you say about taking people by the hand and leading them through all the steps that are required to accept change? So usually one of the first things I do when I get on the ground or before even when I'm talking to them, is there a method or a model that you guys have embraced? Because the good thing for me, because I've been around the block a few times, I've worked with all of those. Okay. And there's parts of some that I like better than others, but I go, have you guys selected a method or approach? Now, if they name one of the top five recognized approaches that have been around for as long as I've been doing this, then that's a good thing. Because here's the thing I said, so are you open? So you really want to use Adcar, or you really like Wakater, or you like Lamarche. Or I said, can I see how you're actually using that? And then you'll find that, oh man, they're using it to the letter. Or no, they have the binder, but they're not using any of it, right? So I said, well, I guess you are open to me to say, if you want to, if you've already started pushing this process thing, whatever, we'll use that, but we'll adopt what method or approach that we want based upon your decisions and my experience into something. And we don't really even have to name that, but you have someone on the ground that knows that and then can lead people through that. And that's what I usually try to get to because using a method or, or model for that sake. And that's why, guess what? I'm not certified in any of them. Mm-hmm. I tell the client, I can teach all of them. No one's ever asked me, oh, we're not going to hire you because you're not proceed certified. Right. Proceed is awesome. Kind of the guys that work there, mm-hmm. you know? So, and the client doesn't care about it. Right. How are we going to get 780 people inside this distribution center in Sanger, Texas, to start using this new technology that they've never seen because Mary has been using a broomstick to push <laughs> the box so it doesn't fall off the conveyor? Yeah. You see, they don't No, they don't I, It works. I know. It, it's it, hard to, to get people to change habits, right? Change can be difficult, right? And there's really a, a tendency for people to want to go back to doing things the way that they've always worked. What's interesting is it's matured over, even over the last, say, 20 years, but definitely over the last, say, five years. But I'll, I'll tell you, it's not quite as bad as it used to be, but there was just this sometimes big fight. Like, we don't, what do you guys do? We don't need you. Oh, the top brass brought you in. And so you're having to defend and teach people what it is this thing is. 
And I've had to get pretty good at that. But now it's gotten a little bit easier because people are like, no, we need you here. And don't, don't worry. We're going to tell people that you're coming. Mm-hmm. And they better not give you any stuff or you show up in my office. We'll take yeah. care of them. So it's yeah. come because I'm telling them. But still, with the ticket item, people are spending multi, multi millions of dollars on software and merger acquisitions, huge mm-hmm. amounts of money. Yeah. They still want to see what value they're getting out of, out of change. Measuring behavioral change yeah. is something I specialized in since thanks to Accenture, I learned a lot from a company that Accenture bought from, can you actually measure behavioral change and or what kind of measurement can you put in place to show proof to executives that people are actually changing behavior? Well, there, there are ways to do that. Some people are better at it than others. That happens yeah. to be one of my specialties, but it's really interesting how I've seen that industry mature over the last 20 years. And that's just back to, I want to do it with you, not to you. I'm not coming yeah. here with a three ring binder. I'm coming in here, roll up my sleeves. I got my blue jeans on and I got my handcuffs at the hotel. <laughs> I mean, my cufflinks at the hotel. <laughs> okay. Because, I was like, what are you doing? Back edit, the hotel? edit that out. <laughs> edit the handcuffs. No, because I like to be able to navigate because yeah. that's where you have to be able to navigate shop floor to top floor. Sure. Absolutely. And when you go back to the no like, and trust factor, uh, you know, the pinstripe suit's probably not going to play too well when everybody's wearing dickies down on the shop room floor, right? You, mm-hmm. you need to come in with some credibility so that they're like, oh, he he gets us. He understands what we're dealing with down here. Well, listen, John, this has been really fascinating. And I love this topic. But it's clear that you have helped many companies to put some real meaningful change in place that has meant a lot to their bottom line. I mean, there's a reason why organizations are buying other companies or putting new technology in place because they believe it's going to help them be more effective Mm -hmm. and help with them being more competitive or being more profitable. So any last words of wisdom before we close out? Yeah, I want to make sure that everybody understands that you're much better marketing and salespeople than I am, but your digital identity in the professional landscape today across the globe, in my mind, still is defined by LinkedIn, full stop. Now, Facebook is running a close second. You got Twitter, but you're professional. So in other words, where people are looking for people that know what I know or know the best marketing person or the best sales, they're going there. Don't underestimate that. Computer scientists like me, Techie got five calls on Monday before 2.30 in the afternoon from five people, five calls or emails from five people I did not know, have never met from all over the world to ask me if I could help them or they want to talk to me about something. I don't have a website. How did they find me? LinkedIn. Okay. They were smart enough to go click on a featured file. It's called an infograph and looked at it. And they said, John, well, we looked at your infograph. I'm like, really? You say you clicked down there more and then you opened Man, it's an unbelievable, you know, you know, platform out there to create your digital identity. So, again, if I'm an if I'm an icon of influence or in change, or if I'm the the godfather of change, like my client calls me, I want to make sure somehow my LinkedIn profile is accurate, relevant, easy to look at can find me. And I'm not even a graphic artist. I'm just somebody trying to leverage a platform that's not defined by me is defined by the world, how they find you. So for the marketing salespeople out there, there's people out there that if they can leverage that tool and others, of course, you got to leverage it. But that one in particular has carried me a long way. So don't underestimate the power of something that's already been out there for many, many years. Great. Well, thank you, John. So I think you just answered the question that I usually close out with, which is where can you find John Deal? Easy. On LinkedIn. 
And I'll put a a link to your profile and Mm -hmm. maybe if I can figure out how to do it, a link directly to that infographic too, because I want to go out and take a look at that myself. So John, I want to thank you very appreciatively for being on the show today. I I learned a lot. Yeah. And and here's the thing. It's all about, I believe inside we all have something to give back. And so if that's happened today, I'm happy that I had the opportunity. If it wasn't for Terry, I wouldn't be here. And Terry was kind enough to bring me on and trust that I might be able to give back something that I know and we can help each other. So that's how I come at this. So I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you learned a little bit and I'd love to learn from you. Just connect with me on LinkedIn and we'll see where we can take it from there. Thanks a lot, John. That was such a great conversation with John. And if you're looking for somebody to help you with large scale change or transformation within your organization, I encourage you to reach out to John Deal on LinkedIn. It's J-O-H-N-D-E-E-L. And he's got some great resources out on LinkedIn that you can download. If you personally are having issues with processing or dealing with change, or if you're leading a team that is hitting some obstacles and you're not quite sure what to do differently, please reach out to me on my website at terrybmcdougall.com and set up a free exploratory call to see if I can help you get over those hurdles, bridge those gaps, and bust through those barriers so that you reach the goals that you've set for yourself or that your organization has set for your team. I'd love to talk to you to see if I might be able to help. Thanks for listening to this episode of Marketing Mambo. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe, like, and share. I'd love to hear from you. Check out the show notes for my social media and contact information. Until next time, adios. Bum, 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 bum.